The music of Taj Mahal. And speaking of the blues, recently I was delighted to accept an invitation from the Blues Foundation to host the upcoming 45th Blues Music Awards in Memphis, where else, preceded by the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. The president and CEO of the Blues Foundation, Kimberly Horton, joins us now uh, to give her take on this remarkable collection we were just discussing uh, from Robert Mac McCormick, now donated to the Smithsonian. Uh, get her thoughts on that, specifically as it relates to preserving uh, this uh, unique American art form. Uh, and uh, talk about the uh, more important work of the Blues Foundation. Kimberly Horton, good to have you on this program. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you so much. I'm so honored and happy to be here. I, I'm delighted to have you on for these few minutes that we have to talk about uh, a few issues. Um, let, let me start with, um, with uh, again, the conversation we just had with uh, Jeff of the Washington Post talking about this Robert Mac McCormick who spent his whole life as a blues enthusiast. Uh, he's collecting all kinds of stuff, and now his family has donated uh, this pretty amazing, this grand collection to uh, the Smithsonian. That, that's a big deal. Uh, I want to start by asking um, your take on what it means in a moment like this to be doing the work of preserving, again, this uniquely uh, uh, American art form against um, uh, invisibility, as it were. Well, I, I, I hate that all of this work was hidden for so long, for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me say that I'm, I'm eager now myself to uh, partake in going to visit, you know, <laughs> to see some of the works myself. But I, I just, it's, it's so many works that have been, you know, put aside by our great artists from back in the day. So my, my main take on it is I just hate that it was hidden for so very long. And I'm glad now that it's out on display, maybe some answers to some things that we may have questions to or may have had questions to in the past, especially regarding Robert Johnson. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of those questions will be answered now to where we may know some of the real deal truth of it. But mm-hmm. other than that, I'm, I'm happy to know that the family took it, you know, took it to the Smithsonian for everyone to partake in it. Yep. I could ask this question uh, of, um, of of jazz. I could ask this question of the blues. In this conversation, of course, we're talking about the blues. But if I were to ask you, I mean, every year, as you know, first of the year, we have the president of the country give what's called the State of the Union Address. And, they, of course, they lie every year and tell us <laughs> that the state of our union is strong, and we all know it's not. Uh, it's a great country, but we got so much more work to do, and uh, our strength uh, is over overrated. We are We're coming apart at the seams as it were that's another conversation for another time i'm not trying to pull you in that direction what i what i I raise that only because if i were to ask you to give me a a short speech on the state of the blues in 2023 what would you say i would say it's it's kind of in a endangered state just a little bit just because we are you know the demographic of the blues is is such a is an older demographic Mm -hmm. uh one of the things that i'm looking forward to doing is bringing the younger people in and introducing them to what it is why it is and where it came from and you know help them to understand that the things that they're listening to now actually came from the blues so if we don't get the younger generations involved I really don't know where it would be. I I am have hopes because it's my passion, it's my love. Mm-hmm. But I have hopes for it to continue to stay alive. But we do have to get the younger generation involved. I mean, you know, I say all the time when I'm in meetings and so forth, the demographic is 60 to death, and we have to change that yeah, yeah. to get younger folks involved and, and, you know, just bring them aboard and make it be a more attractive. Young people think the blues is sad and it's down, and it, that's not 
it at all. So mm. just bringing the young people aboard that would help us keep it alive. Let's just keep it real. Uh, it's not just the audience is older. It's also whiter. And in that, exactly. rega- and in that regard, the same can be said of jazz. Uh, Wynton Marsalis is a dear friend of mine, and uh, Scanny and I have these conversations all the time. He's always scratching his head, and I have to just have to help him sometime uh, in our mm-hmm. private conversations to not take this stuff so personally. But he's uh, like you. Uh, it's his passion. It's his love. And nobody. I mean, he's the greatest, you know, living jazz artist. No question about it. Um, and, and certainly given what he's done for the genre with jazz at Lincoln Center. And he's always traveling the world. He is the he's our nation's best ambassador for jazz, uh, mm-hmm. to my mind, ar- around the globe. And yet he 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 he, he has these moments where he, he wonders what he's really accomplished. Uh, because it doesn't seem to be catching hold with our people, even though we created this art form called jazz. Uh, it's not respected, regarded, or embraced uh, as he would hope by our own community. Uh, the same could be said again of uh, of the blues. It's not just older; it's whiter. And and I right. and I, I ain't mad at nobody who loves it. You know, we created it, and if you love it, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, but it is a sort of indictment uh, on black people uh, ourselves. Uh, that we're allowing others to take these two art forms uh, and do with it as they wish, as they will. Um, so you talked about the older part. How concerned are you about the whiter part? Well, I, it goes to what one of the things that I have as a large goal, top priority, which is the education piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's ours. We started it, you know, but our folks have not been educated. You know, we, we have to educate our young black African-American youth so they'll know and be able to embrace it and appreciate it. And that has fallen by the wayside at some point. So we have got to bring it back to uh, fruition, reality, mm-hmm. that this is our music, we created it, and we have to educate our youth on it. And if we don't do that, it's going to continue to be that way. Yeah. You know, we have blues camps and there aren't, you know, many black kids involved because they don't know they exist. Well, I plan to change some of those things because we we have to get the younger generation of African-Americans involved. And that, that goes back to education. We need to teach them what it is and why it is and why it's important for it to be preserved up under where it needs to be. Yep. Uh, we were talking uh, again uh, with the, uh, our friend at the Washington Post, Jeff, earlier in this hour. And in that conversation, the name Prince happened to come up, and we kind of pivoted for a second, had a conversation about Prince. And mm-hmm. I started this conversation with you, of course, playing an artist you know quite well, Taj Mahal. Uh, mm-hmm. And I raised both of those names because uh, here are examples of two guys who can play anything. Uh, right. I, I, Prince could play anything. And I, I, I used to tease him all the time um, that, you know, certainly back in the day, you buy a Prince album and you'd see on the back of it all songs written by Prince. All right. songs produced by Prince, engineering by Prince, all lead vocals sung by Prince, background vocals mm-hmm. sung by Prince, all instruments played by Prince. I mean, good <laughs> Lord, he would just do everything on the album. And the same can be said of Taj. I mean, Taj, as you know, plays everything. I don't know an instrument everything. that Taj Mahal cannot play. I raise that right. only because I'm wondering whether part of the disconnect, and it's just me, just a wild thought, I'm wondering whether or not part of the disconnect that we have in the black community to jazz and blues is that to do that, you got to be a player. I'm not hating on right. any, I'm not, I ain't hating on nobody, but it's not about a machine. It's not just about your voice. It's not about auto-tune. You have to be a player. And I could connect that to taking music classes out of schools. I mean, I could do this all day long. But my question is whether or not you think that part of what we're up against with the audience being older and wider and not being embraced by our own community has to do with the fact that to be in blues, to be in jazz, you got to be a player. Well, partially. I wouldn't say all, okay. but partially. Because, okay. Yeah, I would just say partially because – 
you know, in of course, you know, in the record industry, music industry is is rare and few and far in between. Unlike Prince, to have all of your stuff owned by yourself. Mm-hmm. So you know, to be a player, you know. Yeah, it plays a big part, but you also got to know the business side of it, and you also got to know what needs to happen and what doesn't need to happen so that you can do your stuff correctly to benefit yourself as well as the the audience. So, you know, it's just it's it's so much that can go. We can talk about that forever, but it's so much stuff that goes into it that makes it be a successful ring. No, I don't. I don't doubt. I don't doubt that. I was just talking specifically about if you if you're going to be a blues artist, you got to you got to be able to play something. Uh, Unless unless you unless unless you're a vocalist, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, To be in jazz, you got to play something in the band. (laughs) So I I just don't know whether or not that is part of the part of the issue. But I'll leave that alone for now. When we come forward, I want to pick up on this point you raised a moment ago. uh, as the uh, as the president and CEO of the Blues Foundation, that this is your passion, it is your love, it has been for many many years. I'm curious always about the backstory of our guest. Uh, how did it become your passion and your love? We'll talk about that with Kimberly Horton when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Sounds, Sounds different, huh? This, this is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Our guest is Kimberly Horton. She is the new president and CEO of the Blues Foundation. Uh, and we're talking in this hour, in case you've just tuned in, about a major, major collection by Robert Mac McCormick uh, that was just donated to the Smithsonian. Uh, and uh, it's a big deal, and everybody's talking about it, and we're talking about it, uh, because uh, the collection was sort of hidden for so long, but now discovered, donated by his family uh, to the Smithsonian, and uh, it just uh, uh, puts uh, uh, in front of us another opportunity to talk about the value, the importance of the blues historically, in this country, another uh, creation, of course, of our people, uh, and uh, what we do about preserving this unique American art form. Uh, again, delighted to be in conversation now with Kimberly Horton, the president and CEO of the Blues Foundation. You mentioned earlier, Kimberly, I'm watching my timer, you mentioned earlier uh, that this has been your passion, your love for a long time. You've done a number of things in your career, uh, but at this moment, um, as president and CEO of the Blues Foundation, um, that passion, that love is going to come in handy uh, to help you navigate what you have to deal with every day. Tell me, though, quickly about your passion and your love for blues. Passion and blues uh, for the blues started when I was six. My mom took me to the uh, capital downtown Jackson, Mississippi, mm-hmm. to see B.B. King, and that opened the door, and it's been with me ever since. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been what? with me literally ever since. When you were when, <laughs> when you were a kid at six, and you, I'm just curious, I saw B.B. many times. When you were when you were a kid, I didn't see him at six though. When you were a kid at six, and you saw B.B. King, like what? Just what? What were you? I, I can see your eyes wide open in downtown Jackson, <laughs> but tell, tell, tell me what you recall about. What you were singing hearing that day i mean it's just it, the 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 language of the guitar mm-hmm. the language of you know his body languages as he's singing and and just all of it it was it was encapsulating for me mm-hmm. and then you know i'm I'm thinking this is the same music you know i hear big mom playing on the you know clean it up on saturday morning <laughs> i like this this is moving you know you can feel it so it's been with me ever since the beginning my mom and i actually got to meet him he signed a picture i for me at six so mm. that has stuck with me all these years so it's that's where it started that's yeah. the root of it i i've re- <laughs> i've rarely i've rarely met anybody uh more approachable than bb king he was approachable he was likable he was kind never saw him uh, be anything other than that to his fan base but here's the mm-hmm. guy who, here's the guy who really got it he really got that he was there because others uh supported his work uh, and his music and again i've just rarely seen anybody who has just been so 
engaging when it comes to his fan base. I'm not surprised to hear he gave you an autograph uh, at six. Uh, and, uh, that, again, it speaks to the kind of person that B.B. That, that King was. Uh, our remaining moments with Kimberly Horton when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. All right, Kimberly, I got just a few minutes left here. Tell me about the work of the Blues Foundation and specifically your two signature events. Well, the work of the Blues Foundation, we are here to, just what you've been saying, preserve the history and the heritage of the uh, unique American art form. So we have uh, two big events, the International Blues Challenge that takes place every January, and then the Blues Music Awards, which takes place every May, which next year will be our 45th year. And uh, all of that information can be found at blues.org. We're here to teach, educate, and provide uh, services to different different types of services to blues musicians all over the world. We're not just known here in the States. We're internationally known. We have the Hall of Fame as well. Tell me about the challenge, the blues challenge. The International Blues Challenge is where we have artists, aspiring artists, come mm-hmm. from all over the world. I mean, we've had up to 250 countries here before in mm-hmm. Memphis competing to become crowned uh, the International Blues Challenge winner for that particular year. It opens doors for, you know, opens doors that they wouldn't normally have to get to certain venues, to get on certain festivals, to be in mm-hmm. front of, uh, it's like the big big network event for everybody to have a chance to show off their talents and uh, become the next Big name of the blues, and we 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 want to be the stepping stone to help them get that recognition. We have a networking event that they get to sit down and talk to uh, record labels and artists and artist management and booking agencies that they would never be able to mm-hmm. sit in front of to display their talent. Yep. And we, so I, it's, I, it's an exciting time. No, speaking of exciting, I, I'm about to say I can only imagine how empowering, um, how joyful an experience that must be when you see hundreds of folks from around the world descend on Memphis uh, to show uh, their skills, uh, that's got to be uplifting. It is. I mean, we, we take over Bill Street for the week, and it's exciting every night, you know, to see them go from, you know, the quarterfinals to the semifinals, end up at the Orpheum Theater on Saturday for the finals. It's like a it's, – it's, I can't explain it. You, you'd have to be here. But it's a wonderful experience for the, musician and for, the musicians and for the uh, Blues Foundation. We have – thousands of people here that come to see who the next big thing is for the blues nope that's, that's a good tri- that's a good time to make a trip to uh, to memphis if you ever if you ever yes. want to go to memphis and have not been that might be a good time to go uh and uh we, so g- g- tell me again when, when is that particular uh challenge it's going to be january 16th through the 20th of next year there you go 16th, 16th through 20th. of january okay mm-hmm. uh looking for a reason to go to memphis there's a good reason uh to head to beale street uh and to see these artists from all around these aspiring artists from all around the world Uh, competing to be the next big thing in the world of blues. Uh, Our guest has been Kimberly Horton. She is the president and CEO of the Blues Foundation. Kimberly, thank you for your work and witness just starting, of course, in this particular role. Uh, I will see you in May for the Blues Awards. Thank you for the invitation, the 45th uh, Blues Awards. I'll see you then. Until then, take care of yourself. Thank you. See you soon. Good to have you on this program. Uh, In our next hour, which you do not want to miss, um, a lot of black folk are giving up on America, and they're just uh, moving and leaving and living in other parts of the world, uh, essentially saying America does not deserve me. We're going to talk to three folk um, who have made that decision to just leave America. Uh, one is in Lisbon. Uh, one is in Mexico City. 
and one is in Singapore. Uh, y'all pray for me that all these phone lines work in the next hour. You're listening to Tavis Smiley.